whenever somebody meets me and they say, so what do you do for a living? And I say, okay, I just want you to guess. I want you to guess because you're not going to guess. And no one has ever guessed what I do for a living. And of course, what are some of the most common questions is number one, how can you work in a funeral chapel? How could you go there every day? It must be so sad, so depressing. How do you do that? And quite the opposite, quite the opposite. Welcome to the Beside Project, an exploration of where the end of life and Judaism intersect. My name is Sarit, and I'm out to uncover what wisdom and rituals Judaism provides for the dying, for the people caring for the dying, and for what comes next. My name is Stephanie Gary. Uh, My pronouns are she and hers. I actually live in Stamford, Connecticut, but I work at Plaza Jewish Community Chapel. I am the executive vice president of communal partnerships. And if I had to share something that was really interesting about myself, it would be that 50 years ago, I was a chief at for the Kansas City Chiefs when they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's my personal fun fact. So yes, I'm a football fan. Stephanie and I met after I read an article she authored called It's Time to Elevate End-of-Life Conversations to Build Jewish Community. If you've been following along, you can imagine my complete enthusiasm at talking with her. Plaza Jewish Community Chapel is on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and I used to live and work right by there. In fact, it wasn't until after we talked that I realized I had attended several funerals held at Plaza over the years. I remembered the space as being beautiful and warm. On the surface, that might sound odd, but I would argue so important and meaningful to create space that can help hold us during a painful time. As you can already hear, Stephanie also emanates that warmth. I'll let her share more about Plaza and what makes it so special. Plaza Jewish Community Chapel is the only not-for-profit Jewish funeral chapel in the metro New York area. There are actually three in the country that are not-for-profits, but as you would Yes, most funeral chapels are for-profit. Plaza was established 20 years ago by a group of philanthropists and Jewish communal leaders who decided that we needed a not-for-profit community-owned and operated funeral chapel. And the mission is to ensure that every member of the community receive a dignified burial to take the profit motive out of the equation and to provide education and bereavement support to end of life conversation. And I just want to add that when I talk about every member of the Jewish community, that includes those who were not raised in Jewish tradition, uh, because that is in fact, right, our community. 
We are governed by New York State Health Department guidelines. So legally, we are not allowed to turn anyone away who comes through our doors. And there are, in fact, people who hear that we're a not-for-profit funeral chapel, so they do come to us. That percentage is not very high. But when I say those who are not raised in Jewish tradition, um, those are people who have, yes, converted, those who identify as Jewish, those who understand Jewish tradition when it comes to burial and really embrace that and want to be cared for in that manner. We are actually the only chapel in New York that does not have embalming equipment. We are all about doing things in the most natural way, which of course, is a more traditional way of doing things in terms of Jewish burial. And the reality is, if in fact a family comes to us and there's a need for embalming, we can ensure that that will happen, but that is not done on site. So our chapel is in fact Jewish because number one, all of the caskets we sell are kosher, which means there is no metal in any of our caskets, and they are all certified as being kosher. As I said earlier, we do not embalm, so there are no chemicals in the space. There is nothing but an area for preparing the bodies for burial, which are used either by the funeral directors or by the Hevra Kaddishas that come in to prepare the bodies. One of the things that I think we need to talk about is that everything that is done at the chapel is to show respect for the deceased. And in fact, that's what Jewish tradition commands of us when it comes to end of life. But everything we do there is all about respect. And yes, our funeral directors, and by the way, let me mention that I am not a licensed funeral director. I just simply have the honor of working with a number of licensed funeral directors. But either it's our funeral directors or the Hebras that will do the work of preparing the deceased. And it's always done with the utmost respect. So let's rewind a little. Stephanie was a cheerleader for the Kansas City Chiefs when they won the Super Bowl in 69 and is now the executive vice president of communal partnerships at a nonprofit Jewish funeral home. Of course, I had to ask how she came to this role. I was very fortunate. Uh, I grew up in Kansas City. I loved being part of the Jewish community of Kansas City, and I got a lot of that from my parents who were both engaged. And I will say that many people who grow up in a, a smaller Jewish community tend to be very engaged in the community because that's the only way one can be Jewish in some of these smaller towns. Even though Kansas City is a very large metropolitan city, everyone I knew was engaged in synagogue life, um, whether it was Reform, conservative, orthodox. And actually, at the age of 17, I went on an Israeli pilgrimage with all the denominations and spent two months living in Israel. We were really engaged in Jewish life. I knew absolutely nothing about 
traditional Jewish burial. That was not part of my education. And I highlight that because I'm happy to say that Plaza and I feel the work that we do is changing that landscape in New York for sure. But I was really engaged in Jewish life. Um, and I was also, um, my, my dream was to become an actor. And so I went to college for that and received a degree in theater and moved to New York in the late 70s uh, with my then boyfriend, now husband of 40 plus years, and um, lived the dream of that starving actor waited tables and and did the whole thing and uh, was lucky enough uh, to be, if you will, discovered by an agent who said to me, um, I'd like you to sign with this agency. And she wanted to sign me for commercials. And as I said to her at the time, I didn't come to New York to do commercials. And she said, trust me, you'll be very happy when you start doing commercials. And lo and behold, I'm still in touch with her to this day. And I thank her because for 20 years, I made a great living as an actor doing mostly commercials. In the year 2000, my union SAG-AFTRA went on strike. It was a very painful, long six-month strike. I was in my mid-40s. And it was my good fortune of having been involved in Jewish life I'm a past president of my synagogue in Northern Westchester, was very engaged on a number of boards. And as I said, it was my good fortune that a friend of mine introduced me to a philanthropist. And this philanthropist was the one who started Plaza Jewish Community Chapel in 2001. I met him in 2002. He said, you are an actor and an activist, and I'm looking for someone to get the word out about this chapel. I met with him, and needless to say, he was very compelling. And he said to me, go to the chapel and tell me what you think. I went to the funeral chapel on 91st in Amsterdam, not having had much experience at all in the world of end of life. I knew nothing about traditional Jewish burial. I didn't know what a tahara was. I knew nothing. And I walked into this chapel for my interview with the executive director. And there to our left was the small chapel, and sitting there was a shomer, a watcher, who was actually chanting psalms prior to a service beginning. Uh, the candle was lit. The um, candle is always lit at the head of the casket. Uh, the casket was there. And I had a moment knowing that I was in sacred space. And I looked at this executive director and I said, I don't know what I can do, uh, what I can bring to the table to uh, get the word out about Plaza Jewish Community Chapel, but I do know that what takes place here is very sacred and I would be honored to be a part of it. So from Kansas City to making my living as a commercial actor to Plaza Jewish Community Chapel has been, you know, kind of interesting. <laughs> journey and one I am most grateful for. After Stephanie described how she transitioned to this work in what sounded like a pretty easy fit, I was curious if there was something in her past that helped set the stage for her present work. What's really remarkable about everyone's journey is when we look back 
we realize every step that we take really is happening because of the previous step. And I say that because when I was uh, growing up, my dad was a traveling salesman and he was on the road five days a week. And one day he came home and I was probably 10, 12. And he told me that he was selling carpet, which was one of his mainstays, but that he was selling carpet for, um, he was recarpeting the Jewish funeral chapel in Kansas City. And he said to me, I think the funeral world is an incredible world. And I remember my mom, who is almost 96 now, my brothers and I were just amazed by my dad's passion as he talked about the funeral world and continued to talk about it till the day he died. When I got the job at Plaza, no one was happier than he was. He had seen me on hundreds of TV commercials. He had seen me in shows in New York, but nothing gave him more joy than knowing that I was now working in the funeral industry. And it was very, you know, it was very serendipity that I was there. I will say I had only had two experiences in a funeral chapel in my life, uh, both for my grandparents' funerals, and I was quite young. I said to myself when I walked into the funeral chapel that first day for my interview, how am I going to work in a funeral chapel? Because I am one who has a lot of life and energy. And how am I going to bring that ingredient to this mix? And what I realized pretty fast was that that's what was needed. We needed to have a voice. We needed to present a conversation where we took the curtain and pulled it all the way back and said, this is real. We hope and pray this happens in the right order, that people die in a peaceful, loving environment after a long, beautiful life. And we know that doesn't always happen. So I felt initially, on one hand, because of my dad, okay, I know about this funeral world. I've heard about it very different when you go to work every day in a funeral chapel. And I do believe um, that it takes a certain type of person to work in this world. I'm not saying it's for everyone. But I do believe that when we bring this sacred conversation to the table, it's important for everyone to talk about and to hear about. And people are receptive to that. So um I just want to say that the classes, I do about 50 educational classes a year. And when we are on site at the chapel, which is most of the time prior to COVID, we would always, of course, go down to the casket room and do a tour of the chapel. And to this day, I'm incredibly sensitive to the fact when we walk into a casket room, I now do this every day. But I do remember the first time I walked into that casket room and how it felt. It's sobering. It stops you in your tracks for a moment. And yet, we need to know that we're all going to be, if you will, in that room making decisions that we need to be talking about. So uh, whenever I bring a class in, I'm always the first one to say, I'm aware of where we are and how this moment feels. So 
I'm not jaded to the conversation. I'm present in the conversation. Um, and, and I know how it can feel for people. Because I didn't know, I asked Stephanie what the casket room is. And if you don't know either, it's the room that houses the different caskets to choose from. Education and advocacy are central to Stephanie's work, and I asked if she could share more about the importance of teaching about end of life and the groups that she works with. I grew up in a classical reform congregation in Kansas City. There was no mention at all of end of life, ever. I, the Kaddish, of course, was said, but end of life, uh, certainly for young people, was never mentioned. I literally got my education. Yes, I was 10 when my grandfather died. Yes, you know, I I remember those moments, but it really was my dad talking about the funeral chapel in a very engaging, matter-of-fact, uplifting sort of way. I know that sounds crazy, but my dad was a very uplifting kind of guy. <laughs> That's why he was a great salesman. He talked about it around the dinner table. So the funeral chapel was not this far off, scary place. So when I, I got this call years later, it was just kismet, I guess. But having said that, what I've seen over these past, certainly my 19 years in New York working in this sphere, is that synagogues are embracing this conversation. Life cycle events are being taught in a way where end of life is part of the conversation. It's not simply the Brit Milah. It's not the B'nai Mitzvah only. It's also end of life. And there are a number of synagogues that work with me. And I teach these fifth and sixth graders all about end of life and Jewish ritual, which guides us through the process. What's interesting is that in some of these classes, and some of these classes are held with parents present, and some are not, but some of these classes have students who have lost parents, certainly grandparents, and they want to talk about it. They're engaged. Those classes are some of the most profound classes I've ever had the pleasure of being a part of. And literally, over the past seven years, the number of people reaching out to me to have classes around end-of-life conversation for young people has quadrupled. We have to trust our kids, right? We have to allow them to understand what happens. We know that when someone dies in our life, it's probably the most profound experience we have. And yet, we don't always allow the conversation to take place. I, I will simply share that my husband's father died when he was five, and he was not allowed to go to the funeral service. That was a different time. That was a couple of generations ago, and yet that has defined him in so many ways. We have to know that this moment when someone dies and leaves our world on a daily basis defines us. So how can we embrace the conversation and ensure that we're doing our part to make sure that this journey down this particular path is as easy, is as loving, and as is informed as possible? Because that's what we need to do. In Jewish tradition, I do believe it's 
a beautiful framework to guide us through the process. And I've had the privilege of talking to others in different religions where we've had seminars and talking about how we guide people through end of life. And I have to say, Jewish Jewish end of life, we do it really well. (laughs) We give everybody, you know, as much as possible to support them, to guide them, and to provide, as I said, that framework, which is ultimately comfort in that most uncomfortable situation. Stephanie and her husband have a son, Zach. And after hearing about her experiences of talking with children in the classroom, I wondered about the ways Stephanie brought her professional work into the home and into parenting. I feel that it's my responsibility. You know, when we have children, we spend our days taking care of them. (laughs) You know, sometimes a little bit too much. And it was my responsibility to ensure that the burden is not left on his shoulders. I think that's one of the great lessons when one of the programs we do is how to get your house in order. And I talk about three reasons we need to think about our funeral is number one, we get to decide what we want. That's a concept, right? I mean, it's like you think about what you're going to have for dinner. You think about what you're going to put on every day. You think about where you're driving. And yet when it comes to your funeral, you don't want to think about it. I'm certainly not a psychologist or anything. I can't go there about what that's all about, but we need to think about it. I've recently, no, my mom's turning 96 and years ago, years ago, I said to her, we need to talk about what your funeral is going to look like. And she was thrilled because she told me what music she wanted. Of course, she wanted Debbie Friedman. She told me, she gave me the rundown of what she wanted. She is a past president of the synagogue in Kansas City, where she lived for so many years. And that was really important to her, to know that certain music was going to be played, to know that certain psalms and prayers were going to be said, because that, that's in her, that's, you know, that's inside of her. She was really honored by that conversation. She also asked for some flowers. And I said, mom, you know, in Jewish, we, we don't really do flowers. She says, I want flowers. I said, all right, then you get flowers. <laughs> but when it came to our son, I did not want to put that burden on the person I care about the most. And I do know, I do believe, I think that uh, when the day comes that I die, um, it's going to be a tough day for him. No matter how prepared we all are, it's tough. So what can I do? I can take care of everything. I've made all my funeral arrangements and I've talked to him about it before I go away on a trip. And before I do anything monumental, I say to him, remember, remember, he says, okay, mom, I know, I know. And yet he feels that this has been a gift for him. And he has said that to me. So I believe that my work has informed my life in a beautiful and profound way. And I believe that it's informed his life. So he's thinking about things that are important to him and values that are important to him. Anytime we have a value-driven conversation, especially one like this, then I think I've done a good job as a parent. 
Zach was very close to my dad who died 14 years ago. I, of course, was in charge with taking care of everything for my dad when he died. And I was actually, I had the most beautiful honor of being by his side when he died, which was an unbelievably profound moment, a hard moment for sure. And yet it was a gift for me as well as for my dad. My son, Zach, was super close to my dad, and it was very, very hard for him when we were at that funeral. Uh, It was probably one of the first funerals my son's very lucky in his young life that he had ever been to. And one of the most profound things that happened at the funeral for Zach, I remember this, was um, my dad was very proud of his military service. And we had an honor guard at the Jewish cemetery in Kansas City. But when the casket was lowered into the ground, and I remember Zach was next to me and he said, I can't believe that grandpa's in there. And I said, grandpa is not there. That is a shell of who grandpa was. He is, of course, always in your heart. And trust me, he is hovering over us and watching over us in this moment for sure, because he would have loved his funeral. But that that was a real teachable moment for him, even though he was in his 20s and he was, you know, about to graduate from college. He was, he was a little boy missing his grandpa, who he was so close to. And it made sense to him as time went on. But I think that, it's, as I've said before, it's, it's been a huge gift for him, knowing that we talk about end of life. And of course, we don't talk about it incessantly. But it's a, it's a big part of my conversation because it's where I go every day. And, and, and by the way, um, one of my greatest privileges is... Um, that I'm there for so many people who lose someone that they're close to. And they know that they can pick up the phone, call me, and I can put them at ease in a moment and say, you have nothing to be concerned about. So he's heard that he's been on that side of the conversation a lot. And that, that again, has been a beautiful life lesson for him. While we were talking about Stephanie's family and personal experiences with end of life, I found myself curious about how Jewish ritual has supported her in the hardest moments. Being that Stephanie is such a reflective person, it wasn't surprising to hear that lighting the Yortzeit candle, the yearly memorial candle, holds a special meaning for her. I truly can remember when my dad died, thinking to myself, how am I going to feel this burden on my shoulders lift, this this sadness, this sorrow, how is that ever going to find its way to another place in, in my world? And lo and behold, it did. And that happened in a timely way. And yet, when his Yortzite comes up, and I light that candle for those 24 hours, and I say his name at synagogue or this year on Zoom, it's, it's a beautiful moment and a time to reflect. And again, Judaism uh, provides that framework for that to happen. With Stephanie's background as an actor, I kept picturing what it would be like to meet her at a party. I'm guessing it's because I haven't been to a proper party in so long. 
But talking to Stephanie reminded me what those days were like. Her energy is contagious. And since she's been in this work for two decades, I was sure she had stories to tell. Whenever somebody meets me and they say, so what do you do for a living? And I say, okay, I just want you to guess. I want you to guess because you're not going to guess. And no one has ever guessed what I do for a living. Um, And of course, what are some of the most common questions is number one, for sure, for sure. How can you work in a funeral chapel? How could you go there every day? It must be so sad, so depressing. How do you do that? And quite the opposite, quite the opposite. It is incredibly life-affirming. It allows me to really value the day because I'm listening to stories of lives well-lived I'm learning about incredible people every day when I hear these eulogies, because that's something we do at the chapel. Um, We have a sound system. So whenever a service is taking place, if you want, anyone in any office can hear the service. It's a way for people to stay in touch with the work that we're doing. Uh, It allows us to be in different parts of the building when we need to be and to hear what's happening with the service. But for me personally, it has really added enormous value to my life um, to know that we are being of service to people in this most challenging moment is one of the greatest gifts I could ever imagine. So as I say to everybody, I'm the luckiest person in the whole world that I have a job I actually get paid for where I'm able to be of service to people. I'm able to educate people about the value and importance of how we can embrace end of life because it's going to come one day. And I meet the most fabulous, interesting people. And I love Jewish life. So I'm around it all day long. (laughs) I don't know. Some days I kind of think maybe I need to go and work for Catholic charities. But for right now, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, once somebody finds out what I do for a living, everybody wants to talk to me. What's it like? How, how do, like, do you see the deceased a lot? And by the way, the answer is no, that is not part of my job. Um, I deal with the living. I feel that, um, you know, again, as I said initially, everything we do at the chapel is to show respect for the deceased. And me, who has nothing to do with the deceased, for me to see them is is not being respectful. But everybody wants to know, they just want to know what's it like to work at a funeral chapel. So I'm the life of the party. How about that? As I was learning how incredible of an organization Plaza Jewish Community Chapel is, I wanted to hear from Stephanie more about the impact on the community that Plaza serves. Also, a note, one of the moments that Stephanie reflects on is about a stillborn baby. If you would like to skip this section, move ahead three minutes from this point. In thinking about Plaza's impact on the community, 
I think of that in two ways. Way number one is fulfilling our mission to elevate end-of-life conversation. We have supported conversations in the community. Uh, One program, a grant that we gave to the community for a program called What Matters Caring Conversations About End-of-Life is now in its seventh year. This is a value-driven conversation with facilitators from synagogues talking one-on-one with congregants about end-of-life conversation. Thousands of people have participated in this. That, that's one small way where I believe our impact has been not only dramatic, but has really resonated with the community. We were, when we were created in 2001, uh, this little, you know, this little funeral chapel. And now we're one of the leading Jewish funeral chapels in the metropolitan New York area. So I know that our message um, has reached people. And again, it has resonated with people. But I think back to um, a tragic story recently. Uh, a friend called me that her daughter-in-law was about to deliver a stillborn at uh, nine months. And she was, what do I do? What do I, the, the sadness, the trauma was overwhelming. To know the lengths that we went to And that means a team of people at Plaza, the funeral directors, I I mean, the clergy, everybody went to to support this family in this most horrific, impossible moment was an incredible honor. And everyone felt it for this unbelievable moment to be handled with such thoughtfulness and grace and love and love was just a testament to who we are. I can't, I'm sure other funeral chapels would be terrific as well, but that moment, that experience and how it weighed on everyone, it wasn't business as usual. And and that's what I want to say. It's rarely, if ever, business as usual at the chapel. Certainly no two days are ever alike, but these are people's lives and lives lost. And when you stop and you're in that moment, it's it's profound. And and you know, without sounding trite, you're really doing God's work in that moment. I always ask my guests if there's anything they'd like to add. And Stephanie, as an incredible advocate for honoring the end of life journey, knew exactly what she wanted to share. The one takeaway that I would love just to put out there is that we need to talk about end of life more. That's what we need to do. If there's one thing, one thing we can do, we need to talk about it more. It needs to be the dinner conversation. I'm not saying every night because the more we talk about it, then the fear subsides. We can have a level head and embrace the beauty that surrounds it. And I speak from experience when I say that, while it wasn't, quote unquote, the most beautiful moment when my dad died, it was a beautiful moment. 
and I was honored to share it with him. Sending a big thank you to Stephanie for sharing your stories and warmth. It was fantastic to learn more about you and Plaza. For those listening, if you'd like to read more, you can find a link in the episode description to Plaza Jewish Community Chapel. Do you or someone you know have a story to share? Or are there topics you'd want to hear me cover? Reach out to me, Sarit, through the website besideproject.org. There you will also find written posts, resources, and explorations of where Judaism meets death and dying. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.